Only 2% of venture capital funding goes to female founders. These founders aren't household names like Mark Zuckerberg, Elon Musk, or Bill Gates, but yet they've managed to build remarkable companies and raise venture funding. Welcome to She Ventures Forward, the podcast where we dive deep into the inspiring stories of trailblazing women who secured venture capital funding to build impactful companies. I'm your host, Natalie Abood, and each episode, we'll sit down with incredible female entrepreneurs who've navigated the competitive world of VC funding, discussing their triumphs, challenges, and invaluable lessons learned along the way. This is She Ventures Forward. Today, we have Manisha Prakash here with us. Manisha is a serial entrepreneur out of the Bay Area who built her company, Luma Body Tech, a full-stack digital health company, along with her co-founder from 2011 to 2018 before being acquired by Seismic. In her journey, Manisha raised $26 million across three rounds of investment, Seed, Series A, and Series B. Welcome, Manisha. Thank you, Natalie. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so my first question is just talk to us about Lumo Body Tech. What did the company do and what motivated you to start the company in the first place? Yes, um, we were inspired to uh, help people move in a healthier way such that they could avoid injury and improve their performance. And so we wanted to create a platform that helped people with their biomechanics. We started with a posture, fo- a product focused on posture, um, and then expanded to provide other products, including ones for measuring gait. So things like running and walking. And when you were building the company from the product uh, for posture to all the other products you mentioned, what were some of the biggest challenges you faced in scaling? When we got started, this was in 2000. 11, the term wearables didn't exist, or it was just barely beginning to emerge. And so launching a new product um, in a completely new category was tough because we were creating a lot of awareness. Um, You know, at the time, in fact, we named it where, no, we named it uh, human body computing because the term wearables didn't exist yet. (laughs) And because Fitbit took off, Um, And they really made wearables a household name. So just that was challenging. Um, And then raising money for a product that had a huge hardware component, which meant required more capital, uh, was really difficult in, you know, an environment where investors preferred to invest in more capital efficient ways. And so certainly raising money was hard. And then attracting the right talent, especially before we raised venture funding, um, competing in the valley with you know that could pay with companies that could pay three, four, five times more than what we could uh, was was pretty challenging. So I want to go back to what you were talking about with venture funding. So how did you get your first VC dollar, and who was the first firm to invest in your pre-seed round? So the first firm to invest in our pre-seed round was Innovation Endeavors. Um, And in fact, we were sort of incubated out of a program they had at the time uh, that we were like a team of EIRs, uh, entrepreneurs and resident, uh, exploring various different opportunities. And so we're lucky in that um, we did a pretty good job in that incubation phase and were able to get seed financing from Innovation Endeavors. So because of your EIR program, they already knew about the potential of your product and they weren't as dissuaded by the hardware piece, or was that still a really big challenge that you had to convince them of when you were raising? There was definitely a lot of convincing that had to happen. Uh, In particular, when we were raising our seed round, um, their model at the time was not to lead rounds. Mm -hmm. And we, you know, had to share with them that 
we were getting a ton of interest from a lot of investors, but everyone wanted to be first to be second. No one wanted to be first to be first, i.e. lead our round. And that, you know, if they really could step in and lead the round for us, lead the round, that all the others would follow suit. And so they were wonderful. They said, yep, you're right. You know, it's not normally our model, but we will lead your round. And that's exactly what happened is when they came in, all the other seed investors also came in. That's, that's so exciting. So when they came in to lead the round, how much was uh, was the money they were giving you to lead and how much did all the other investors combined give you during that round? So we raised, um, our seed round was over 1 million and um, they probably took, it's been a while, but probably a good third of it. Mm, interesting. And then did you negotiate the terms? How long did it take from uh, first meeting to term sheet? Uh, in your seed investment stage? So the seed round was much more straightforward because it, we did it as a convertible note. It's very similar to safe notes. Mm-hmm. Um, in our series A, uh, which was led by Madrona, um, that was a priced round. And I'd say between, you know, from when we started talking to them to getting a term sheet, it went relatively fast. It didn't feel fast at the time because <laughs> uh, as entrepreneurs, you're constantly, you know, you're very impatient and very aware of your runway. Um, but, but probably six weeks is when we, is how fast it moved. Oh, that is pretty fast. So yeah. within, within that six weeks, you convinced Madrona to lead and then you were able to get other investors on board for the series A or were they the sole investor? They were the lead, uh, but what was great is we had already built a great, um, pipeline of other investors that, you know, again, like, like our seed round, they didn't want to lead the series A, but when they said, once you have a series A, we would be happy to participate. And a lot of them were actually investors from our seed round, including innovation endeavors. Interesting. And how did you meet Madrona? Was it like cold emailing investors? Was it through a connection? It was through um, a demo pitch that my co-founder was doing (laughs) at a wearables event or a connected devices event. And one of the investors from Madrona happened to be in the audience and approached him. And one thing led to the other and they ended up leading our Series A. That's that's awesome. Um, so when they led your Series A, how did you approach negotiating terms with them, especially in terms of valuation, equity, and board representation? So as co-founders, there were three of us. We made sure first that we were aligned about the terms that were most important to us and where we were willing to be flexible. Also, we got really good counsel from our lawyer as well as our advisors about what were co- good comparables at that time. So we went into the negotiations with Madrona, kind of having a sense of of those parameters. And luckily they were very on on very similar page as us. And so there was a little bit of, you know, minor negotiation, but for the most part, you know, in terms of the valuation we were looking for, the equity, the board seats, um, it all worked out. That's awesome. And how much did you raise during your Series A? And then how much was your post money valuation? Um, series A was five million, and the post at that time was close to twenty. Um, so, moving on from seed round, Series A round, I want to talk about your Series B round. Did you face different challenges when raising at a seed or Series A level compared to when you were raising at a Series B, or was it very similar processes? Yeah, it was hard. Um, They're both hard, but for different reasons. When you're raising your Series A, it's a lot of it is based on 
your storytelling, the promise of your venture, and being able to demonstrate early traction, which we had. Um, so for example, we had done a very successful crowdfunding campaign and that you know showed some at least some early traction. With Series B, you're evaluated based on performance and future potential. So there are a lot more numbers to look at, things like how is your rate of growth? What does your customer retention look like? You know, how is your path to profitability? Uh, and on top of that, you know, there has to be really good storytelling. Um, and so, again, they're they're both difficult for different reasons, and you're measured on different things at those stages. So, were the conversations with investors a lot longer during the Series B round versus versus the Series A? Then, not necessarily. Um, certainly, getting from conversation to term sheet, yes. But one thing that as a startup CEO, you are, you know, you're taught and you learn the hard way is always be raising. And so even after you, a good advice I got is even after you close around, start thinking about your next round. Now that doesn't mean you're pitching, but it means you're starting to build that pipeline of future investors. And obviously you're maintaining good relationship with your current investors so that they will participate in your next round. So when we were ready for our Series B, um, yes, it took longer than we'd like. It always takes, no, you never, you rarely hear an entrepreneur say, gosh, it actually took me less time than I thought to raise money. <laughs> um, I wish that were the case. It's always longer and harder than you think. But um, because we had done a good job of building that pipeline and because um, a lot of our Series A investors were wanting to participate in Series B. We were able to get it done. So did you bring in any new investors, any new leads, or were they all similar to your Series A? Yeah. Um, in fact, for our Series B, again, you know, our previous investors wanted to have a new lead oh. um, because <laughs> that's that's good validation, right? To have an external party come in and to say, yes, we believe in this venture enough that um, we you know, want to invest. And then also they set the terms, right? Like that's a far more um, objective way of setting the valuation. Um, and and you know, there's no conflict of interest as well. Okay. And uh, how did you meet your Series B lead? Through um, partnership. So it was actually a strategic investor um, that we were also doing um, a product partnership together that they also led our Series B. Amazing. And then now that we're past the, the Series B level, talk to me about the progression from going from Series B investment, growing your company to being used by multiple customers to being then acquired. How did that happen? What was the process? How long did that take? Was it what you envisioned for the company? Yeah. Um, so what happened with our Series B is that enabled us to launch our second and third products. Um, it enabled us to grow our customer base and revenue significantly and grow partnerships that also allowed us to grow and have more of a global presence with our product, product distribution. And then how did you get acquired? What was the process of that happening? Did you seek it out or did they come to you? Yeah, this was another company that we had been in partnership conversations and um, those led to the acquisition. Amazing. That's that's really interesting. Uh, so the whole, the whole point of this uh, podcast is to talk to female entrepreneurs about their challenges and their process when they were raising. So was there any unique challenges or advantages you might have faced as a female entrepreneur in the fundraising process? Or did you find it was very similar between you and your male co-founders? Um, you know, advantage is you are more memorable as a woman because there aren't as many of us, and sadly. Yeah. Um, 
disadvantages compared to male founders. Um, you know, at the time with my um, first startup, I was raising money as a young mom. Mm -hmm. And um, I remember, you know, getting well-intentioned advice to not share the fact that I had a newborn um, because investors would question my commitment to the startup. Okay. Um, and, you know, that's not something, you know, that male founders who are young dads, you know, get questioned on. And so I definitely felt, um, you know, that was a huge challenge of being advised to hide a big part of who I am okay. um, if, for the sake of being able to raise money. Um, also there were, you know, instances where people would assume that one of my male co-founders was the CEO and that I wasn't, um, you know, during meetings, the questions would keep, you know, be direct, they it would be directed to them and they were wonderful. They would always, you know, direct it back to me, but it was this, you know, interesting dynamic where we had to de or recondition um, some investors to realize that I was the CEO. Did this happen even with your existing investors who were investing in your seed series A and series B, or did this primarily happen with investors you were in talks in before the actual term sheet was signed? Yeah, it would, it was with new investors. My existing investors were amazing. They, um, you know, I felt very respected and valued by them. That's awesome. And, you know, it, it has been since 10 years, probably since you've raised last, how do you think the fundraising process has changed for women in the 10 years since you've done it? It's still pretty hard. Um, I advise um, a lot of entrepreneurs, including many who, who are women. And, you know, I, I still see it's, it's harder for women. Um, I see that, um, you know, look, raising money isn't easy for anyone, mm -hmm. but I see that the female entrepreneurs that I advise seem to have to prove more in order to raise the same type of money, the same amount of money, or get the same type of terms that um, the male entrepreneurs do. So if there's a potential female founder, a woman who wants to raise money listening to this right now, what advice do you have for aspiring female entrepreneurs? The advice I would give is while it can be really hard, um, also embrace that being a woman can be a strength. Um, you may possess insights into meaningful opportunities that are overlooked. Um, also, you may find that recruiting and, and attracting certain types of talent is easier because they want your leadership style. Mm -hmm. um, diversity begets diversity. And so having women leaders um, attracts not only women, but also tends to attract people of color and people um, with learning, you know, differences and international. Um, we, in our company, 40% of our company was women, which for, you know, tech company, that's wow. pretty amazing. And over 60% had been born internationally. Um, and the number of, you know, languages spoken in our, uh, in our team was amazing. So, um, and, you know, as I mentioned before, being a woman um, can mean you're more memorable. So mm -hmm. while it can be lonely being out there because you don't see as many other people that look and sound like you, you can also flip it to a strength that it makes you more memorable. Um, some other advice that I would give is surround yourself with allies, both men and women. 
who want to see you be succeed, want to see you succeed. Um, use them as your personal board of advisors. Um, and the last piece of advice is don't be afraid to ask for help. You know, whether it's with introductions or, um, you know, challenges you're, you're facing, uh, don't be modest, um, you know, put it out there, you know, the things that you're doing really well at, and then put it out there, the areas where you need help. That's awesome. I, I feel inspired now. That's amazing. Um, just to close, the last question I have for you is what was your biggest lesson learned through building a startup? Wow. Um, <laughs> biggest lesson learned through building a startup um, is that resilience is the number one factor of your success. Uh, there are so many moments where you will feel knocked down and it's that ability to embrace failure. Um, I love that mantra, fail early and fail often, but fail forward mm. um, because it's those learnings that will eventually, you know, get you to the right answer and, um, uh, you know, stay resilient. And though that's, that is, you know, entrepreneurship is not for the faint of heart. <laughs> um, and so stick with it. And that is what will, you know, eventually lead to a very, rewarding outcome. That's incredible advice. Thank you. Um, so that concludes our episode. Manisha, thank you so much for being on here today. I, we really appreciate everything you shared with your journey and all the wisdom that you've collected along the way. Pleasure to be here. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of She Ventures Forward. Don't forget to subscribe and turn on notifications for the next episode. If you're a female founder, reach out. We'd love to have you on the podcast. Tune in next time.